Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Dad, I heard you got in a fight this week. Oh, it wasn't a fight. Bit of a fight. You texted me saying it was a fight. Did I? Yeah. Well, fight as in... Well, listen, I mean, yeah, you should have been there because you normally stop me getting in fights, don't you? Yeah. Yeah. So shall I tell you what happened? Yeah, go oh, on. Shall I give you the full the, gory the, detail? The dramatisation. No, it's Because tr- I only got it in WhatsApp text form. <laughs> I'd love to hear it from Okay, so I went out on a long bike ride. Yeah, that's an unnecessary piece of information. No, because the sure. bike becomes relevant. Right. Uh, went, stopped at the corner shop. Um, and as I was getting off the bike to go into the shop to buy a drink, um, this guy pulls up in his car opens his door and starts just throwing litter, all his litter on the floor. Right. In the gutter. Right. Right? Yeah. So I said, hey, who's... Hey. I said, hey, who's going to pick that up? And he sort of said, what's good, who are you? I said, what it's got to do with me is I live here. Right, this is the area where I live. He says, I live here too. I said, well, why do you want to throw your litter and live in a pigsty? If you want to go and live in a pigsty, go and live in a pigsty. He then starts getting a bit sort of apathy and aggressive. Right? So he gets out eventually... Goes a little bit nose to nose. And he then says, this is the bit that really fucking hurt. He said, listen, you're an old man. I could do you a lot of damage. Oh, God. Right? I mean, oh, now, I still have the helmet. How did that make you feel? Made me feel fucking bad. Were you thought, wearing sunglasses as no, well? No, I, I had my helmet on, though. So I thought, if I headbutt him... No, I didn't think that. It would hurt. Yeah. Yeah, but then... Anyway, so then he, and he said that about ten times. I can hurt you a lot. I can do you a lot wow. of damage. I can hurt you. Were you scared? So, no. So anyway, I said... Well, once I realised, I thought, mm, might he have a knife? You know, he looked quite hard. Uh, I, once, he, once I saw he had, didn't, I thought, he, if he's going to have a knife, he's going to get it out fairly quickly. So he didn't. So then I said, this is going nowhere. I said, listen, I'm just telling you, right, I hate litter. I hate the fucking litter around this place. It's disgusting. Was anyone watching? There's a few people. Anyway, eventually, well, I, let me fast forward. So then I said, right, anyway, you decide, you want to live in a pigsty, off you go. He gets back in the car. I go and buy something in the shop. I come out, and then I did have a bit of rush blood to the head. He's still there. He's in the car. And you open the car door. I opened the car door, and I threw all his litter back into his car. Right, and then what did he do? He jumped out and sort of tried to push me against the wall. And what did you do? I sort of... <laughs> <laughs> I sort of thought, this is probably getting a bit more serious now. So I said... Where's oh, your bike? So your said, poor little I'm bike. I'm not holding my bike. I said, <laughs> I saw, I saw, I said, I said, I'm really sorry. Sorry, you don't want your own litter to take home to put in a bin. Anyway, at this point, the shopkeeper came out and he... Broke it up. He broke it up and hustled the guy to his car. Oh, wow. Well, good on him. I mean, Dad, you could have got battered. I could have done, but I, I'd have fancied myself with this guy. He sounds... Oh, he kicked the bike as well. <gasps> he kicked my wow. fucking bike. Well, you did open his door. Well, why shouldn't I give him when his litter? He... Well, I mean, look, I'm not on either side of this. Oh, you're not. You're on his side, are you? No, I'm neutral because I think littering is really bad. I would never go as far as open a stranger's car door and throw their litter back in. I didn't do it without the preamble of, you know, no, of him course. telling me I was a fucking old man and he could fucking hurt me. And... So that's really <laughs> the biggest trigger here was that he said you were old and that he could hurt you. <laughs> Yeah. Look, I'm sure you've still got it in you to fight. I'm just not sure you want to get into risking fighting with younger people. I bumped into Michael Palin, fellow neighbour, older person. Yeah. 
Did you tell him? I told him, and he, I said, what do you think? He says, it was very good. He said, I think you did the right thing, and you did the wrong thing. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, but I fucking hate litter. I'm reading Nicky Campbell's book at the moment, and there's two wonderful bits in it. One where he talks about how much he loves the fact that Clan Campbell's got such a bad reputation. Mm-hmm. And secondly, he really, really, really hates litter. I don't think people like... There are people who love litter. Well, why do they throw it on the floor like that, then? Because they don't think. Have you been on the heath recently? Yeah, it's horrible, but so are all the streets around London. I know, it's disgusting. But I don't think people think, oh, I want to live in a world where there's litter everywhere. People are just selfish. Yeah, and they're indifferent to other people's feelings. Yeah. So who have so on the podcast today we've got um a first, <laughs> right? Why is he a first? Because the first person we've had on the podcast who works has worked in American politics. Okay, yeah. First person we've had on the podcast who's worked for Trump. Yeah. Uh first person we've had on the podcast who works in also financial Wall Street. Stuff. Yeah. Stuff. Money. Yeah. Money. Doshorama. Um so super excited for this one. And it was actually you who kind of wanted, when I said I knew him, and you said, well, can't we get him on the podcast? I'd love to talk to him about working with Trump. Yeah, and also he's super, he's a very fascinating person, I think. He's quite funny. And his name is? <gasps> Anthony Scaramucci. A.K.A. The Mooch. <laughs> I realise he was sitting there. I apologise. <sighs> How are you doing? No, I'm great. How can I not be great? Donald Trump is no longer my president. How could I not be great? I love your backdrop. Oh, you Where do? are you? Let me, get my, let me get my Superman poster in there a little bit. See that? Love that. You're just made to be a podcaster. Yeah, you see, and I even have my microphone now. Does it sound? The quality's good, probably, it right? It sounds sound amazing. Very, very yeah. good. But yeah. How are you Hi. guys? Allison, okay. that was quite Listen. a book, by the way. I gave, your, I gave your book to my mom, uh, and she... She wanted me to tell you that she found your book to be incredibly good. She really enjoyed it. She's oh. 84. She has leukemia. Mm. Uh, I would be lying to you if I told you she didn't have some bouts of, you know, depression. And uh, she felt that the book was very therapeutic and very helpful. So I thought I would pass that on to you. Oh, that's kind. Because I was telling, I was telling Grace about your, um, your brother's travails. My brother is back in rehab, Alistair, unfortunately. Um, and so uh, he had a uh, relapse, which you probably are not surprised by during the holidays. Right. And, uh, and unfortunately, obviously, we're all trying to be supportive and trying to help him. But he's uh, he's a he's on day 30 of a 42 day uh, uh, drug rehabilitation once again. So it's his fourth stint in rehab. I keep thinking it must be so hard in the pandemic for addicts. I mean, it's just like yes. not being able. Well, because here, because we're sitting in a lockdown, you can't go to physical meetings. You don't have that right. sort of same. I mean, there's so mm-hmm. many kind of reasons that yep. you might read. Yeah, exactly, exactly right. Listen, I mean, we're we're all dealing with our different things. Let's put it that way, right? We're all just human beings uh, with the trials and tribulations of what goes on in life. You know, unfortunately. How are you dealing with life? Well, I mean, you know, I you know, every I think it's gen- genetic and chemical, right? I have a pretty good disposition. If if you're having a bad day, think of me getting fired from the White House, okay? <laughs> Blown out of the White House like an Austin Powers villain, rolled in broken glass, salted with margarita salt, and then lit up by every late night comedian, including clowns in the United Kingdom, <laughs> like you know Matt Ford, okay, just lighting me up, okay. Oh, we love him. Uh, we love him. Oh, I love him. You know, you know, I was on his show about two months after I was fired. I was in England on a business trip. They invited me on the show. He puts this uh, orange wig on <laughs> and he starts talking like Trump. Okay, His Trump is amazing. Oh, it's unbelievable because he's doing the spitting image now, right? I mean, and he's, he's yeah. making the hand movements. I just look over and I said... Mr. President, please, please don't fire me again. I don't think I'm taking it. Please don't, don't fire me again. But do you look back on that day, like now with like, oh my God, what a wild ride that was. Do you look back on that and think, God, my life is crazy? Well, I mean, I look back on that day and say that uh, that, that was probably one of the big days of my career. It probably saved my career. Ultimately, um, I was not smart enough to save myself 
And so the universe ejected me from that position and ultimately saved me. I mean, that's the honest truth about it. And your father's been close to power. And I have never been close to power, frankly. I grew up in a blue collar neighborhood and, uh, you know, I went to some good schools, but, you know, I've been an entrepreneur for the last 25 years. So getting invited to work in the White House uh, with my life story, that was too compelling for me. It was an ego based decision. It was an incredibly wrong minded decision. It was a hubristic decision. And I took my licks. But uh, in hindsight, it was probably one of the best things that ever happened to me. Made me more psychologically minded, made me more humble, made me more psychologically aware of others. Uh, but then also I had to get the stomach up to go after Trump when it became clear that he was going to do something so malevolent and so aggressive against the country and the world. You know, then you got, you know, I, you know. Weirdly, I used, you know, again, I'm not saying I was that effective or not, who the hell knows, but at least I was out there as somebody that worked for him, mm. articulating and explaining. I reached out to your dad and uh, explained to him what I saw going on. And, and you know, somebody on network television in the United States called me an opportunist. I'm like, okay, I probably am an opportunist, but like, I'm not the crass opportunist that you think I am because- if I was just an opportunist, I would have slinked away from that situation. I wouldn't have gone after Trump as aggressively as I did. No, no I, mean, I love my country. And I obviously, you know, your father can tell you we're getting to know each other. I love people. I mean, I love my country. I love people. I'm not a judgmental person. I want other people to do well. I'm always rooting for other people's success. Uh, so to me, when he was out there literally going to disrupt and potentially dismantle the American democracy, and this is a country that has afforded my family so many things. I mean, I have lived a very good part of the American dream, right? Uh, you know, this is still, there's merit basis to our society. You know, we, you know, I, I went, I went to Harvard Law School. I, you know, I told that, I told your father, my mother thought it was Hartford Law School. Okay. She thought we were going to Hartford, Connecticut. She had no <laughs> idea. Okay. That's the family I grew up in, you know? And so the point is, is that like, for me to be able to do those things, go to Goldman, build two successful businesses, work in the White House for a day, 11 days, it doesn't really matter. It's been an amazing life. But the flip side of it is I'm sitting there saying, yeah, hey, I love this country. This guy's about to really hurt the country and really hurt the world. And that insurrection took place on my 57th birthday. Can you believe that? I'm, bo I'm born on the 6th of January, and that will go down in the pantheon of our history is one of those ignominious days where uh, you had a rogue citizen, a domestic terrorist known as Donald Trump, organize a potential ins insurrection. Did you so feel? That, did you feel at any point that it might that it might succeed? Um, it, 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 you know, I'm going to Alistair. I'm going to be totally candid about this. Had he been more organized? And had a couple of things gone his way, had somebody like Kevin McCarthy, who's a traitor and a lowlife, had he been the Speaker of the House and had you had Hawley and Cruz in positions of power and had, you know, Trump is malevolent and Trump is somebody that will put a hurt on others because he doesn't care about people. He's a full on sociopath, but he's very disorganized and he's also he doesn't have any executive management function. OK, uh, Adolf Hitler, you can hate Adolf Hitler, we can demonize him today, but he was a human being. And Adolf Hitler actually had reasonably good executive management function. You know, he staffed himself with guys like Goebbels, you know, Goering. He had real guys around him. They were equally malevolent. But my point is, is that he let them run the roots. Trump didn't have any of that because he's so, not, I mean, the good news for us is Donald Trump was so maniacally insecure mm. that he can't have smart people around him, you know, where he can take direction from them and or allow them full delegation, right? Somebody like Anthony Fauci is too insecure to deal with a guy like him. Uh, John Kelly, H.R. McMaster. You see what I mean? Mm. So we got lucky with that. Like, 
you know, you guys are living in the UK. You're probably like atheists now, right? You probably got raised like with some religion, but are you atheists? Are you both atheists? You could tell me. I was yeah, raised were... by, by an atheist. <laughs> you were raised by an atheist. So yeah. He's obviously an atheist. Famously, he is an atheist. Somebody <laughs> tried to teach him about the resurrection. He didn't buy into it. I mean, I, I got that. I'm a but... pro-faith atheist. Okay, but let me let me say this to you, okay? If you want to know why, do you want to know why I believe in God? Yeah, go on. Okay, so when I have my doubts about God, I think of Steve Bannon. And let me explain why. Okay, Steve Bannon is a brilliant guy. He's incredibly well-read. He's quite a seductive person. And if you're just listening to his voice on a telephone, okay, he's a, you know, you're like, he's an articulate guy. Okay, and he's been in show business, and even though he's uh, tries to pretend he's not part of the establishment, he's a full-on cuck of the establishment. Went to Harvard, worked at Goldman, was in Hollywood. So you know, he's you. a total. Yeah. <laughs> Did yeah, you know him, Campbell? At least I know what I am. I'm not trying to pretend I'm something that I'm not. Right, so but, get but Steve, okay, but but Steve Bannon, okay, he's a charismatic, and he's a very very intellectual guy, but God made him so motherfucking ugly to save the civilization from Steve Bannon, right? He's got that hobo's nose. He's dressed in like contemporary bum. You know what I mean? He's got all of that alcoholism, like just permeating through his nose, like emanating out of his liver. You know what I mean? And so to me, when I look at Bannon, I'm like, it's got to be a God because we could have had Bannon in Trump's position. We would have had a real problem. Well, what problem. do you think? Ben is been, a smart guy. But if What's Steve that? Bannon, if Steve Bannon was hot, I don't think he'd be doing what he's doing now. He'd just be being hot. All right. Well, that's a good <laughs> point. He could be mildly good looking. He could be. He could be lukewarm. He doesn't have necessarily have to be hot. Could have been I think lukewarm. no. I I agree with that. I think there's a reason why he isn't as seductive as the way you described his voice on the phone yeah. physically. No, but I was, him. He's like a miserable like. Uh, ugh. But I mean, maybe he should do that's my, that's my that's my contribution to Western civilization thus far. <laughs> because, so, so, because as I was as I was getting blown out, as my suicide vest was going off, I was reaching for that mother effer, and I grabbed hold of him, and he got blown out the door into Pennsylvania Avenue alongside of me. <laughs> and and General Kelly, who's become a good friend of mine, will always give me credit for that. How does it feel now in the space with him quiet and Biden in charge? Well, I think I think I, I probably speak for uh, a lot of people when I say this. Uh, I think it's calmer. I think he's done the correct things of staying out of the spotlight. So in some ways, he's been the anti-Trump. You don't see him out front and center trying to control every second of the news cycle, cable news, national news, international news. He's not a tweeter. He's a professional. He's got 47, 48 years of professional career service as a politician. And I think he's just trying to do a good job. Um, he's not overly ideological, which is, I think, something people are relieved by. And I would say that uh, he has his issues, though, too. He has a radical flank that he has to contend with mm -hmm. uh, at the same time that he's watching the radical right, and he's looking at the radical right, and he's saying, okay, we got a huge problem here. And then you've got the Disney Corporation is putting uh, Surgeon General's warning labels on the Muppets. They're saying, well, the Muppets had some, you know, racially charged or potentially sexist or racist stuff in it. And when a guy like Joe Biden looks at that, okay, he basically says, you know, we're going to have a hard time reaching the radical right. Okay, if you're going to put that sort of nonsense on the Muppets on Disney Plus, and you're this woke lefty, you're not going to reach these people. Okay, you're gonna you're gonna turn you're gonna create an even bigger corkscrew and a bigger tailspin for these people. So you know, but I by and large, I think he's doing a good job. And here's what I would say, because you know you know our family is good friends with the Fauci's and the Cuomo's, as I think you probably know. I'm very good friends with Chris, and they're super tight with Dr. Fauci. Um, the relaxation from the government over the last, say, 45 days since President Biden came into office, it's not even that long, excuse me, uh, let's say 30 days, I guess yeah. it is, um, 35 days. He has, he has relaxed a lot of things 
which is helping tame the pandemic. The national mass mandate, the additional vaccines, the additional requisitions for vaccines. You know, Trump's a malicious guy. He lost the election. He wanted to put a hurt on the American people. Mm. He slowed down a lot of the distribution mechanisms associated with those vaccines. Mm. So, so from that point of view, I think he is doing a good job, Alistair. And I and I would say he hasn't been overly excuse me hasn't been overly ideological. Mm. Uh, do you you see when you're out and about? You you were very high profile during the campaign. Do you get any? Do you get any grief from uh, Trump supporters when you're out and about? Oh my God! I had pe- people taking pictures of my front door, telling me they're going to come in and kill my children. I had to turn the stuff over to the FBI. I mean, I have, I've had letters written to the house. I have had emails. I have voicemails. How these people get my cell phone, screaming at me in the cell phone, and you better look, watch over yourself when you're walking in the street. You know, you're a traitor. You're a this. You're a that. Uh, no, the. Uh, you know, I don't even tell my wife the level of threats because I don't want to get her upset, you know. How do your kids cope with that? Do they know that's going on? How old are your kids? So I have adult kids and I have young kids. I got right. remarried about 10 years ago. So I have uh, 28, 25, and 21. My my older kids, my son is a little bit, he's like your father. He has that dry sense of humor. So my son, he's just graduated from Stanford Business School. He's like, dad, you like destroyed me. The Republicans hate your guts because you left Trump. The Democrats hate your guts because you were with Trump. I know where to go with the networking. I mean, you've, you've absolutely killed me. And I'm like, well, you know, Alexander, maybe I'm getting closer to the truth. You know, just relax. But he says it teasingly. And I mean, you know, look, the, the good news for me is that... Uh, I have discovered, and I think your father probably recognizes this from his political career, that people, the more time people get to know me and the more time people get to meet me or they watch my television appearances, like, okay, this guy's actually pretty center. He's not radical. He's not ideological. He's just looking for the right answers. It's not left or right for me. It's more about right or wrong. And so I think that my kids are starting to appreciate that. And I think there's a good 70% of the people in the United States that I think, uh, you know, if I run into somebody, they'll be like, hey, thank you. Thank you for speaking out. Thank you for being honest about the situation. And I can tell from your television appearances or just meeting you, you're fairly down to earth and you were really just trying to articulate something very honest and psychologically aware of what was happening as opposed to being like imagine a guy like Sean Spicer, like my nickname for him is Liar Spice, right? Because every Spice Girl's got to have a nickname. This guy is a congenital liar, okay? And so he would act like a robot and say, spin to you about everything. And you would know he's spinning. And you'd be like, why the hell I have him on my podcast? He's not going to tell me anything truthful. You know, what makes your podcast successful is its authenticity. What do you, know, you know, also think your that- father's writing successful is his authenticity. I mean, you wrote a very powerful book. I, I just bought your book, Winners, by the way. I haven't read it yet, but I think you I mean, must have written that maybe 10 years ago. But I went back and looked at it. When did you write it? 2015. 2015. Okay, yeah, five five or six years ago. But I, because I said, if this, this book is so good, the one you just wrote, I, I'm going to go back and look at your other books. Because you've made a decision, which I think is the correct decision. You can obviously, it's showing up in your kids that the more real you are, the more authentic you are, the exposition of your vulnerabilities actually helps your kids. Because what happens is if I, and I'm saying, please, I'm trying to say this in the right way, but let's say I covered up all of my weaknesses and I just presented to you my resume and I showed you my GPA in school and my IQ and my net worth statement and my companies that I own and you know, all this bullshit, if you will. And then I covered up all of my weaknesses and my eccentricities and my vulnerabilities. You're now, you know, you've, you've become a different thing to your kids. Does that make any sense? You're starting to shadow your kids when you don't want to shadow your kids. You want to be open with your kids, you know, as revealing as I have been with you, Alistair. And I tell them everything. And this way they can look back and they say, okay, yeah, my dad's just a guy. He's working his ass off. He's trying his hardest. 
but he's flawed like everybody else. And it gives them almost comfort in their independence, if that makes any sense. Well, I think as well. To make mistakes. Does that make sense? Yeah, I do. That, because obviously, you know, I went through similar things with, because when my dad was working, you know, people really hated him um, a lot. And they were always outside our house. We had protesters outside our house for six months when I was like nine years old. And what it gave me eventually, not when I was a child, but when I became a young adult, was the realisation that I am not what my dad believes. So, like, I I can have opinions that are separate to him and I can still defend him as a person and not say, you, to stranger on the street who wants to judge me for who my dad is, you kind of have no right to judge me because you have no idea how different I am from him or not. And I think that comes with age. But there is a point when you're a teenager, like any teenager, you're like, where do my beliefs and opinions begin and my parents beliefs and opinions end and that just comes when you get a bit older I, I completely identify with that I wish I had my daughter Amelia Grace on with you because she would be commiserating with you about her life experience and you know she's lost jobs in the entertainment business because she's my 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 daughter you know and it's unfair to her but she has lost them uh, because, well, your father supported Donald Trump and, you know, I'm a woke Hollywood person and I can't be anywhere near you. Okay. That's rough. Yeah, it's silly. But I mean, that's part of uh, our society now. We have this like very binary, it's a one zero society now. That's where the cancel culture comes into. Mm-hmm. You're either passing a purity test <clears throat> or you have a, a tinge of gray on you as a result of which we have to hit the delete. We have to delete you from the society. And it's sort of a ridiculous litmus test. And it's unfair. Uh, But here's the good news. There's people like you and your dad in our society that are willing to call it out and are willing to expose gray in yourselves and others. I'm willing to do that. And what ends up happening is I believe there will be a pendulum that shifts back. And I believe that uh, there will be this uh, awakening. It's not a wokening, but it's an awakening, you know, and what will that be? It'll be that, hey, probably have way more in common than we all think. And the people that are throwing the righteous mud, they're probably hiding a lot of stuff under the rug. And so, you know, but listen, I, it was a learning lesson for me. It was, it was rough, but you know what? It gave me a platform. And it gave me an opportunity to talk about something. And if I moved 1% of the population, if I moved five people, uh, it was worth it. Honest to God, it was worth it. Because even though it put me through the mud, my kids and my family, it was worth it. What did your family think of you taking the job? Well, I mean, I think I told you this, Alistair, my wife hates Donald Trump almost as much as Melania hates him. I mean, it's like, you know, I mean, you got to allow Melania to be in the pole position, right? I mean, she, nobody could hate him more than her. But I mean, my wife was up there. She's got to be in the top five, right? And so she wanted to divorce me. She filed for divorce on me, by the way. Because we, we were, of that. You know, I was, on, I was on the front page of the New York Post the week I had taken the job. My wife had filed for divorce. And, you know, some of it was our personal relationship not going well. Some of it was uh, Donald Trump and the politics. Uh, And, you know, the truth of the matter is, if I'm really being reflective and brutally honest with myself, I made some really big, overly ambitious uh, nakedly ambitious. I want to, I don't want to be euphemistic. I want to be harsh, nakedly ambitious decisions that were, uh, the wrong, wrong minded decisions. And so, um, but here's the good news. I'm a strong enough person where I could look you in the face and you grace in the face and tell you that I made mistakes and work on curing those mistakes and work on becoming a better person. And so, you know, you have to imagine I'm now fired from the White House. My wife has filed for divorce on me. Our court date, I got to do a perp walk on September 22nd. I got fired on July 31st and we're walking into the courtroom together. Okay. And it's Scaramucci versus Scaramucci. What's and the, the New York Post, you know, it's like when you're, uh, you're in front of cameras, you know, like, and you're walking okay, into yeah, a courtroom. Yeah. You know what I mean? You know, it's like you're, you know, you're, you're, 
you've got you've got all of the cameras in front of you and you're now walking into the courtroom and they're going to stick your mug in the daily mail let's say or one of your great tabloids over there yeah and i'm in the courtroom with her by the way great, great was ironic great was ironic yeah we got that dad yeah, no, I got it. And so, 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 but there I am. I turned to my wife, okay, and I'm like, she doesn't really want to do this. Right? I mean, she, wow. I mean she, she's the plaintiff. I turn to her, I look at her right in the face. I said, come on, babe, you don't really want to do this. I mean, I'm a, I'm a fucked up guy, but I mean, you still love me. Let's figure this out, okay? And, you know, she starts crying. Next thing you know, we're outside the courtroom. You know, the judge is saying, figure it out so you don't have to go to litigation. I mean, to split the assets. By the way, I don't care. I'll just write her the check if that's how it was going to go. But then, you know, we went to counseling. We got, you know, Tony. I don't know if you know Tony Robbins. I know you guys probably yeah. know him. Yeah. Right? He's a pretty famous guy globally. He's a friend of mine. He called me and he's like, I'm going to set you up with a life coach. Forget about therapy. Uh, I've got a guy that uh, is going to help you with your relationship. And I, and I want you to come down and see me and Sage, which is his wife. And so Deirdre and I did that and we worked on our marriage. And so we're stronger today than we've ever been at any point in our marriage, knock on wood, you know. And and so uh, a lot of things have happened that were good from the experience and some things happened that were great. What's that? Grace has got to write the screenplay. Now you've got Tony Robbins in the story as well. Mr. and Mrs. Moon. Well, no, also... I, 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 my, I got yeah, yeah, exactly. My parents had a really similar... I mean, the, the only time I can really strongly th remember thinking my parents are going to split up was during the Iraq War because my mum was so avidly against it. And I think it's something that, I mean, it's deeply fascinating listening to you talk about that. I'm like, Aaron Sorkin needs to write the movie of it because people don't think about the effect that politics can have on personal, interpersonal relationships. Yeah, and also that your wife, you know, she would have, it would have just, sounds like she hates him so much that the idea of you working for him would have made her sick, you know, like you can get it. Like I said, she's in the top five. Okay, I mean, again, you gotta give you gotta give Melania Trump her due. I mean, I think Melania's like numero uno, but I would say Deirdre's in the top five. But like, you know, she said something to me that I did not listen to, and so you got a lot of great listeners, and so I hope they're paying attention. She said something to me, and I was trying to form fit a narrative. Okay, now I don't know how Alistair feels about Prime Minister Blair, but I never really liked Donald Trump. I thought there was always something wrong with him. However, okay, he was going to be the American president. And so what I was doing, which is a poor reflection on me, but I'm going to share it with you so that perhaps someone listening to this could learn from it. What I was doing is I was fitting him into my narrative. Okay, so I was saying to myself, hey, I'm a blue collar kid. I grew up on Long Island with no money. My father was an hourly worker. I went to Tufts and Harvard. I built these successful businesses. Now in my early 50s, I have a chance to work for the American president. Oh, but knock, knock, knock. The American president is a sociopath. He's a very malevolent and very bad guy. Okay, and so, oh no, I'm going to choose to ignore that and I'm going to impress upon my cognitive dissidence to serve my ego. And so I'm going to choose to ignore that the American president is a sociopath so that I can fit my narrative of myself. You see how ego-based that is? And you see how egocentric that is? And you see how that was hurtful to myself, hurtful to my family, hurtful to my children, Grace, looking at you when I say this. And that was completely wrong. And that was over ambition and that was hubristic and it was actually unnatural given the things that I've done in my life and the way I have taken care of my family members in my life mm. and but it was something I did so I have to own it I own it for the rest of my life but but I I would rather own it and explain it so that somebody maybe is listening and the light will go off in their head I got to keep my ego in check I got to watch my pride I've got to I've got to watch, you know, what's important to me. I've got to, I've got to look at the things in front of me and be appreciative of what's important to me. 
Does that make sense? Totally. Do you think you'd have, if you'd have stayed any longer, do you think your marriage would have ended? You know, it's a good question. I don't know the answer to that, Alistair. Maybe because um, we would have been separated. You know, I was working in Washington. Deirdre had no interest in going to Washington. She was raising our kids on Long Island. She had no interest in it. And so maybe, but maybe not. You know, weird things happen. But, you know, uh, as General Kelly said to me, uh, you know, his worst day for him was the Charlottesville, Virginia day. And I denounced President Trump on that day. I was speaking to George Stephanopoulos. I I had made the decision, you know, some people make the decision to go into hiding after they're that roundly humiliated in the media and in the press. I made the decision not to do that. I made the decision to go right back on the air and uh, just be myself. And so when he was saying there were very fine people on both sides, I said, you know, you can't talk like that. That's racism. You can't talk like that. And he didn't come after me because he had just fired me. And I knew he didn't want to fight. He didn't want to fight with me. He definitely is a smart enough guy to know he didn't want to fight with me. So he didn't come after me. He then called me and told me, you know, I, I, I wish he didn't say those things about me. I said, well, I, you know, come on, you can't talk like that. Okay. And by the way, I got to go back and run my business and I can't be supporting that sort of nonsensical behavior. So ultimately we were going to end up fighting because he's separating women from children at the border. I went on CNN and said, you can't do that. He was in Helsinki praising Vladimir Putin and denouncing our intelligence agencies. I'm back on MSNBC or Fox or CNN. Sorry, you can't do that. And then he went after the women of the squad Mm. and used these racist nativist tropes, go back to the countries that you originally came from. Well, they told my Italian-American grandparents that. Can't do that. You know, and that's why I tell my Italian-American buddies that are for Trump, dude, he would have kicked you out of this country. If it was 1905, when your uncle Salvatore and your grandfather Luigi were coming into the country, but been blown out of the country. So you have to. So now one when it when it got hot and he turned on me, you know, that's his power. He figured, oh, you know, I, 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 you know, everybody falls in line. You know, he's calling Ted Cruz's wife ugly and uh, the, the father helped assassinate JFK. Ted Cruz is a sycophant. And one of his supplicants. I would never do that. Once he came after me and my family, I went right after him with a hatchet, you know, because it doesn't matter. I mean, at the end of the day, you only have yourself and your pride. You're not going to do that sort of nonsense, you know. Mm. But but it's, you're asking really good questions. You know, I could have probably been divorced, Alistair. That would have sucked for me. And, you know, I don't want to dare say that it would suck for my wife because, you know, maybe it wouldn't suck for my wife. I don't know. Maybe she would have gone on to greatness. I have no idea. But I think it would have sucked for her too, and possibly my kids. Would you ever consider being a politician? So I'm not going to say no, because then I'm a politician, right? So what politicians say and when they answer a question like that, it's like, oh, no. I'm, I mean, like Elizabeth Warren, they said, you're running for president two months before she announced, I'm not running for president. And then, boom, she's running for president, okay? Um, but... I don't think so is the answer to the question because I want to raise my kids out of that spotlight that you were subjected to on that. Some of my older kids were subjected to, um, but the flip side is we've got so many problems. And if you can get people in government that can't be bought, that are clear headed in thinking, is it possible to move things? And so the cynical side of me remembers the last chapter of animal farm. So you're, you remember the last chapter of Animal Farm? What happens? The pigs stand up on their hind legs, right? They, they revolt on the farm. They take over the farm from the two-legged animals known as men and women. Uh, they're the smartest of the animals. And they say that it's, it, the farm is now for four-legged animals. But in the last chapter, they're greeting the horses and the donkeys standing up with their pocket watches in their little vests. And, and the, the point being, the allegory being, you know, you're probably not better than the people that you're judging. So mm-hmm. I don't know the answer to that. If, if, if something happened where there was an opportunity to run for something and I actually really thought I could make a difference 
and my wife was cool with it and was at the right time in my life, maybe. Would you be uh, Republican? Knows, or and I, what's that? Say it again. Republican or Democrat, if you were going to run. Well, I'd have to. Well, that's 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 a big issue right now. So I am working with James Glassman and guys. I think maybe Alistair may know from the Bush administration and from former Romney people on a center. It's really right now just called the Center Right Alliance, and there's a very large group of us that will likely hive off and create a third party in the country. And so wow. I don't know if that will happen or not. Uh, not to bore you with U.S. political history, but after the Ross Perot election in 1992, where President Clinton won, the duopoly of the Republicans and the Democrats clamped down on, and through state law, they've made it almost impossible to start a third party. The legal requirements and the procedural hoops that you have to jump through are quite onerous and very expensive. But you have uh, exhausted billionaires in our country. I have men and women, for that matter, that have come to me and said, I'm good for 50 million on whatever you want to do if you want to break this Trumpian stronghold on the center right, which is now totally disfigured. It's become a demagogic personality cult. What do you, so make, don't know, what do you make of these guys, uh, what do you When you see McConnell and those guys behaving as they did in the vote in the Senate, what, what, how, how do you feel? Well, first of all, McConnell is exactly what you see. You know, he's a chameleon. He's got that uh, way about him. So it's not like I looked at somebody like McConnell and saw anything different, and I would have predicted everything that McConnell did including the speech that he gave after he acquitted Trump. It's really a guy like Kevin McCarthy that I'm horrified by because I know Kevin well. He's half Irish, half Italian. He grew up in Bakersfield, California. He ran a deli. Okay, he's been in the Congress for a couple of decades now. He was one of the young guns with Paul Ryan and uh, Eric Cantor. And he's the guy that I'm the most surprised by because in my private meetings with him, he would say, well, Anthony, we need more thermostats in Washington. All we have are thermometers. Well, what do you mean by that, Kevin? Well, a thermometer, they take the temperature. If it's hot, they express heat to the public. If it's cold, they reflect back cold. But a thermostat, you go to the wall, you punch in the coordinates of the temperature, and then you bring the people to that temperature. You, you lead the people as opposed to reflect what the people are doing. And I said, that's a really good analogy. That's cool. And then he goes and does this nonsense with Trump. Do you see what I'm, see what I'm saying? Yeah. And so to me, it's absolutely horrifying because you know better. You're smarter than that. And you could have stood on some level of principle and some level of gravitas, and you could have defined yourself differently. You know, Governor Romney and I are close. He's 75 years old. He's worth several hundred million dollars. He's got 26 grandkids. He voted to convict Trump twice. Why? He's got to tell his grandkids that he's an honest guy. He doesn't care. But Kevin is so ambitious. And you have seen this, Alistair, and Grace, you have witnessed this perhaps as a child or you're seeing it today. He's so ambitious that he'll do anything to become the Speaker of the House. Anything. Uh, and, and who needs that? You know, I mean, who, how would you disfigure yourself like that? And so Kevin is a year younger than me. He looks 200 years old. Okay. I mean, 200. Okay. Now I know I've had a little bit of Botox. I mean, who's kidding who? And this is Latin American dictator Brown. I tried Cuban leader black on television to look like shit. So I had to lighten it up true? a little bit. Yeah. What's that? You're trying to tell me you're authentic. No, I'm authentically he's dying. Authentic. Yeah, I'm, he's, I'm, he's I'm, admitting. I'm authentic admitting. I'm authentically admitting my weaknesses. Like, let me tell you something, okay? Your your daughter knows you gotta look right on camera. It's true. Look okay. at my dad's haircut. I mean, what is yeah. he doing? I mean, I mean, when you're looking when you're looking like that, you gotta be a great writer, which your father <laughs> happens to be, okay? He's got a face, he's got a face for writing. <laughs> a face for radio. But no, I'm kidding. But you know the point, you know, you know, you know the point I'm making. So look, those guys, you know, they're typical. Some of them surprise me. 
Cruz and Hawley are just opportunists, total opportunists, right? They thought that they were going to ride the Trump train to the 2024 nomination. They've got yeah. a bear on their hands now because Trump could could get indicted. He's got real issues in the state of New York. And they've got a bear on their hands now because uh, they're letting him speak at CPAC. He's raising them money. He's doing all these things for them. You know, it could be it could be problematic for the Republicans. They could disintegrate. You know, he's Trump's down to a 25 percent approval rate. So that, you know, and and, and let me give you the math on that. So he's 80 percent of the Republican Party, but the registrations are down several million. The Republican Party is now 29 million registrants. So if Trump's 80 percent of that, let's round it up to 25 million. You know, it's 23.9 million, but you get the point that I'm making. And so, you know, who knows? I mean, I probably won't ever run for anything, but, you know, I'm not going to rule it out 100 percent. You never know what the hell is going to happen. You know, Is he going to go to jail? I don't see how they put an American president, a former American pr- a president in jail. I don't see how they do that in this country. I know that Joe Biden does not want that. I know that for a fact. Uh, and so does he go to jail? Probably not. Does he, you know, pay a fine? Does he get, could he may have, may potentially have to cop a plea to a felony where he would therefore then be unable to run for office on a going forward basis? I think those things are possible. Yes. Given what I know about the rank criminality of his behavior while he was running the Trump organization, those things are possible, mm-hmm. but going to jail, I think it'd be very tough. And I don't think the, I don't think that, uh, I don't think Joe Biden wants him in jail mm-hmm. because as you know, you're, you're a believer in democracy. You're a believer in representative democracy as am I. And even if you have a rogue operator like Donald Trump, you don't want to set up a narrative that your political opponents are building jail cells for each other. And as you're rotating through the cycle of power politics, there's a jail cell waiting for your former opposition candidate. You see what I mean? Yeah. I yeah. just think that would be really bad. And I'll, and, I'll, and I'll leave you with something on this topic, which I think is important. Uh, in 2009, prior to his death, uh, Teddy Kennedy wrote a memoir or had somebody write it for him. And he said in 1974, September, when Jerry Ford pardoned Richard Nixon, He was aghast and he spoke out against it on the floor of the Senate, on the chamber, and denounced Jerry Ford. And he said it was a bad thing for the country. And now he's fast forwarding 35 years to 2009. And he said, I was wrong because Jerry Ford was trying to heal the nation. He was effectively Lincoln-esque and binding its wounds. He was saying the long national nightmare is now over. And he didn't want this to be a political witch hunt. Even though Richard Nixon did something wrong, he made the decision, the punishment, the humiliation, the leaving of office was enough of a punishment. And and Teddy Kennedy, on his deathbed, 35 years of reflection, said, you know what? Jerry Ford got that right. And I got it wrong at that moment. I denounced him. I shouldn't have done that. And I think that is an interesting allegory to tell in this situation related to Donald Trump. Yeah. Well, listen, you've got your dad waiting for lunch. I know that because I've got your diary, obviously, because I still get the CIA briefing every morning. Good, good. Yeah, that's an important briefing. Hopefully hopefully there's not a predator. Thank God Trump's not in office. There's not a predator drone over the restaurant I'm taking my pops to. You know what I mean? I was very impressed by his honesty. Well, admitting he has Botox. No, admitting that he basically only took the job because of his ego Mm. and because of the fact that he wanted to say he'd worked for the president. And, you know, some people would twist that and try and spin it and and make it out like it was actually the right thing to do at the right time. But he's very honest in it Mm. not being the right thing that he should have done. Also, it was a big thing to do to risk his marriage. Exactly. And very, very, he's very honest. Mm. I didn't think there was any bullshitting or like avoiding questions there, mm. unlike some people. You and him are much alike. You and he. You and him are much alike. You and he. You Grammar. and the mooch are much alike mm-hmm. because you serve honest answers. 
Yeah, and we both we both care about our countries as well, mm-hmm. and we hate the damage that bad people are doing to them. Right, but I, then that's, that's what I liked what, about him. That's what I find complicated about him because it's like you definitely don't hate your country because you never worked for Boris Johnson. Do you know what I mean? He he did work for someone who was quite clearly. I think look, he's honest about it being a, van- a vanity thing, but I think he probably did think. I'm a big enough character to go in and sort this guy out. And he realised straight away that he yeah. wasn't. Um, but then he didn't just sort of skulk away. He came out and said, right, this guy, I've seen what this guy's like. He's a real menace to the country. I'm going to, whatever clout I've got, I'm going to use it to help get rid of him. And who knows that he didn't make a bit of a difference because he did make a lot of noise. Oh, I think he did and then, make you know, a difference. And, whereas, no, I could never work for Johnson. Absolutely. But, but that's why he's similar to you as well. It's It's a kind of there's no fear of coming out and going on TV and talking really openly about, like, you know, a party that you used to be part of or whatever. That's what you do with the Labour Party now. No, not the same way. I don't slag off the Labour Party like he does Trump. No way. No, but you did with Corbyn. Not really. I just, you know, I got kicked out because of Brexit. I didn't like what they did in Brexit. But no, I didn't slug off Corbyn that much. No, he went out the Sorry, whole... this is typical. No, it's you not, because I didn't. Question. No, it's not, because I didn't. I used to get asked to go into the telly and rant about Corbyn every day. I hardly ever did it. Okay. God, well, you got a big downer today, haven't you? No, I just don't think you're telling the truth. Well, I am telling the truth. I know what the truth is. You don't. <laughs> Little um, Okay, so he is more Pitch. out there than you. Is that what you're saying? What I'm saying is he was out every day saying Trump is a... Present de- clear and present danger to our democracy. What I was saying is that, you know, occasionally I would say I didn't think Jeremy Corbyn was the right leader of the Labour Party. That was it. I know. I'm not comparing and Jeremy never Corbyn com- to Trump. Let me finish my no, point. No, because no. you said something that was untrue. Yes, because nor- you never let me explain myself. You just shout at me, fist clenched, spit ready to Fuck. spit on my face. Um, no, I more mean you both aren't afraid of basically going against the grain and whatever it is. Yeah, but he went out and fought for the other side. I yeah. would never, ever yeah. do that. Yeah, of course. So, like you said, so don't say I'm the well, same. You, yeah, but you might if, if, say, the Labour Party got taken over by a Donald Trump figure, you might. No, no. what he's doing, the equivalent of what he did, and I'm not criticising him for it because it was for Biden, right? But the, the the similarity would be that he went and campaigned. I went and campaigned for Boris Johnson. I know that's what I, I would rather. I'm not saying for Boris Johnson. Toenails. You're not listening to me. You don't have any capacity to listen. You've got lots of dry skin on your face as I don't well. Give a shit about my skin. Okay, well, it's horrible. You put me in a bad that. mood now. What do you mean? You rubbish! You talk. You just <laughs> listen to fucking. What do you mean? I don't listen to anything. Oh, well, that's the problem. You don't listen to anything. <laughs> Right.